All right. Hey, good morning, New Life Church. Good to see you. So glad you're with us this morning. We're going to make our way back to our seats. Uh, good to hear good chatter amongst God's people. Listen, let me invite you to open up your Bibles to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be continuing with a series that we started last week. It's called, it's called Evaluate. Evaluate, and what we're doing, we're looking at some of the core values of New Life Church, of our church, and how uh, they lead us and kind of shape and guide us and help us to move forward together as a faith body, but also how, they, um, how that applies to our own lives and our own households. And so we're, we're, last week we looked at um, one of the core values, the Great Commission. It's one of our core values. One of our teaching and discipleship elders, Max Garner, uh, taught on that last week, just a, did a fantastic job, and I would encourage you, you can go online and listen uh, to previous messages and sermons, newlifechurchofjackson.org, right on the homepage, you can click the button there, it says sermons and pulls the archive up. Uh, if you missed that, just a great reminder and some really gr- good insight uh, that help us to gr- uh, better grasp our, our calling and our purpose as Christians, that we're not called just to occupy a pew, we're called to occupy this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's one of our core values. And today we're going to look at a core value that we call kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded. And we're going to look at an aspect of that found here in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at this in verse 10. The scripture will also be on the screen here behind me so you can follow along. The Apostle Paul wrote this and he says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, because of who we're against, he says, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground by doing this, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Let's pray over this today. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are thankful for your presence. We are thankful for the presence of fellowship that you give us through the body of Christ. And we are thankful for your presence, O Lord, that is everywhere at all times. 
And this morning we dig into your word and we ask you right now to speak to us. Help us, God, to understand it. You want us to hear, but you also want us to listen. And you want it to stick to us. So I pray that that would happen. And I pray, Lord, you would help us as we go out that our walk and our faith in you would be greater and be stronger. And our relationship with you would be closer. We honor you and we thank you now for what you are doing in our lives and how you want to use our families for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody can say amen and amen. As I mentioned, we're talking about a core value of ours called kingdom-minded. It's about uh, having the mindset of godliness and the, and the way God views the, uh, our world and views life and views us. And not a worldly mindset, but a kingdom of God mindset. We first have to understand something. Peter uh, wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said, by the divine power, by God's power, he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness that are in Christ Jesus. So when we become born again and we surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ, then activating in us, God activates his divine power in us to be able to live life in a godly way, in a way that would reflect and mirror the love and the life of Jesus here on earth, in all of our different comings and goings, in our relationships, in every situation that we may encounter. And we have to understand that with that, God puts inside of us his kingdom. And it's his reign, it's his rule, it's his power and his authority and his might within every believer. And that kingdom starts small in us and it grows and becomes larger and larger in our life. There's several parables that Jesus taught on about the kingdom of heaven, saying the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like that. And, and, he, and a few of those he describes and illustrates that his kingdom wants to uh, grow and evolve in a believer's life. And so with that, then we, we have to understand that with that comes this mindset that God wants us to have. It's, it's called a kingdom mindset. And with that mindset, we have to begin, one of the things we have to learn and understand is we have to, what Paul writes here in, uh, to the believers here in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6 is that part of having a kingdom mindset is that we have to learn how to stand strong spiritually on our own. Have to learn to stand strong spiritually on our own. That we can't, uh, there has to come a time in our faith that we can no longer ride the coattails of someone else. That we have to begin to buck up in the, in the, in the positive way, not against, but up in the sense of God, I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to have faith and I'm going to believe and I'm going to have hope and I'm going to be devoted. And I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to walk this thing out and I'm not going to be dependent on everybody else to try to psych me out and pump me up and encourage me all the time. In other words, I'm going to make a decision that Lord, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Not that God doesn't use, we understand the New Testament concept of the church. Certainly God uses the body of Christ to encourage each other, to help each other, to be there for one another, and to pray for one another, which is all right and all good. And that's the practice of the New Testament church, absolutely. But inside of that practice, there are individuals that have to make a determination of faith that I will learn to stand strong in the Lord on my own. Amen? Because how about when somebody doesn't answer your phone call, what are you going to do then? How about when someone uh, misses that text, what are you going to do then? 
How about when someone is not at home when you go to knock on their door when you need something? What are you going to do then, right? And that's the point here is that believers have to learn how to wage spiritual warfare and live this life as a believer as their own person in Christ Jesus. And so Paul elaborates on this, and, and, and I've titled today's message, when we're talking about our core values, kingdom-minded, I've titled it, Learn to Stand Strong. Learn to Stand Strong. And right off the bat here at the end, he says a final word, says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, or in his mighty power. And what he's getting at is to be strong first and foremost, in order to be strong in, in faith at all, you have to have a strong relationship with Jesus. And so because of that relationship and in that relationship, it provides us strength. The relationship that you and a person has with Christ provides that person with great strength. In other words, who he is is at work inside of me. Who he is is at work inside of me. Consider some of the things and the descriptions of God. I'm just going to go through a few of these that, that, uh, that, that God's people have given him over time. And perhaps some of these you'll, will sound familiar to you. Uh, Jehovah Raha, the Lord, my shepherd. Jehovah Raha, the Lord, my shepherd. Who he is, is at work in me. The Lord, my shepherd, is at work in me. David described him as that in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David understood that the Lord is deity, but also shepherd. He was humanity. And so God in human form is Jesus Christ. That's who he is, and that's who he came as, as the Son of God. And, and in the Old Testament, he was prophesied about. In the New Testament, it's revealed about. And what we begin to understand that the Lord, our shepherd, the Lord, my shepherd, is that he leads us and he guides us to the pastures that he sees is best for us. How many of you know, as you follow leaders on earth, sometimes you don't always understand some of the decisions they make because you may not understand what they can see. Leaders always are able to see or should be able to see further than the follower because they have to make choices and make decisions based on what is best for the followers. And the same with Jesus, our shepherd. He's able to make choices for us in the ways in the, in, in, that our life needs to go because he can see further than we can. The Bible describes that as his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we may not always necessarily completely understand it or agree with it, but if we will just trust our leadership in Christ, he'll get us to where we need to go. The Lord, my shepherd, is at work in me. Another one, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. In Exodus 15, the Lord um, showed himself for the first time as one who could heal his people. And so they built this altar and they named it Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. In fact, out of the Psalms, it says that he has sent his word and he has healed my disease. He has healed my disease to Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer, is at work within me. When you're sick, who do you call on? If you need to go to the doctor, obviously we recommend that. But at the same time, we call on Jesus. We call on the one who, who is by his stripes. He says we are healed. That's a, that's a commitment in the, in the covenant that we can have with our Lord that we can lay hold of as a promise of God. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace. Shalom, the Lord, my peace peace out of Judges chapter 6 they erected this altar to describe the Lord came in peace and the Lord gives us peace 
He leads me beside peaceful streams, David said. That, and, and Isaiah said that he keeps me in perfect peace as my mind is set on him. There's a peace that comes from the Lord. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding that Paul talks about in Philippians 4. How about this one? Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Talking about just a few variations of the way God works in us. Who he is at work in me. It makes us stronger because of him inside of our life. The Lord is present. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. Psalm 139, it writes, I, can, I cannot go anywhere that you are not already there. Describing the omnipresence of God. You can go and make your bed here. You can go and hide here. But God knows where we are. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. In Exodus 17, the Israelites were fighting against the Amalekites. And uh, Moses commissioned Joshua to take some troops out in battle. And he went up on the mountain to watch with his staff. And it said as he was able to hold his staff up and his arms up, God's people prevailed. But if his arms went down, it said the enemy was prevailing. And so he had some close-knit friends who came alongside of him and helped hold his arms up. They held Moses' arms up, and, and as they held his arms up, it said the Israelites overcame the Amalekites. And, and, and Moses built an altar there, and he called it Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner, which signifies as a reminder that the Lord goes before us and the Lord is behind us to help his people walk in victory. You see, it's God's will for his people to not walk in defeat. It's his will for his people to walk in victory in life. And he's the Lord, our banner. Anytime you might be in it, right in the middle of whatever fight, right in the middle of any battle, right in the middle of any turmoil or situation or circumstance, if you'll just look up beyond the hills from where your help comes from and recognize your help comes from the Lord, he is your banner and he goes before you and he is behind you to help you get to see that he is fighting this battle on your Behalf. How about this one? Jehovah Sidkenu. I only have 99 of these, okay? I'm joking. I have seven. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord my righteousness. The Lord my righteousness out of Jeremiah 23. God describing himself as righteous because he is. And then in the New Testament, in Christ Jesus, as we were admonished this morning by Rusty, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and that we are made a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. That's a promise and a guarantee in the work of faith that God makes through grace in our life that we, he, he is our righteousness and he makes us righteous. And the last one, Jehovah, you might have heard of this one, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord my provider. Out of Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is up on the mount to make the great sacrifice. God stops him. And uh, Abraham looks off to the side and he sees a ram caught in the thicket of the bush. And it was the provision. God made a provision for Abraham. And, then, and at that place in time, Abraham begins to realize, wow, God really is my provider. God really does come through. And he named that place that altered the Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. You see, Paul is admonishing his people and, to, and us today that if we can look back and look through and see God at work through time and see God at work now in our life, that is part of the relationship that we have in Christ Jesus. And that as that relationship blossoms and grows, that we have the ability then to be strong because of who Christ is in us who he is at work in us. So we know God is for us. We know God is with us. But at the same time, Paul 
pops in right in the middle and he says, but you also have opposition. You also have opposition. He says, put on the armor of God so that you can stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Now here's the thing, the strategies of the devil. That word strategy comes from a, a word that means deceitful trickery. Deceitful trickery. So Paul's saying, put on the armor of God so that you can stand firm against the deceitful trickery of the devil. Let's just be real. The devil don't play fair. The devil doesn't play fair. He calls names. He pokes your eyes. He double teams, sometimes triple teams. He accuses you, right? Much like the story of David and Goliath. How Goliath taunted David and called him names. Am I a dog that you're going to come at me with some little stick and a stone? Little did he know David was greater than he thought. And the enemy works that way. The enemy doesn't play fair. Folks, this bottom line, the devil is a liar. The devil is a lie. He is. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. There is no truth in him. I came across this story recently. It was about... It was about Lou Holtz. Uh, some of you may know him if you're a football fan. Uh, Lou Holtz was a, was a coach at, uh, many decades ago for the University of Arkansas. And uh, this is way back, and uh, up in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And he said that Lou Holtz sent one of his coaches out on a recruiting assignment to go locate one of their top recruits that they were after. And so he went out driving. This is out. This is the country time. I mean, the countryest place you could go to, and he's got Lou has Lou Holtz has his guy running and trying to find this recruit. And he's out driving on the dirt roads, and all there is is farmland all around. And he's been driving and driving, and hadn't seen the house for a few miles. And he's starting to wonder: Am I even going in the right direction? Because this is before Bluetooth. This is before Wi-Fi. This is before Apple smartphones. This is before GPS. This is when you just had to know where you needed to go, and you had to look at the old paper map and find it out. Well, he was second-guessing himself, and he kind of got lost in thought and veered off the side of the road and ran off into the ditch. And uh, he got out of his car, and he's like, oh, that's not good. So he started to walk a little ways, and up as he walked, he saw off to his right a farmer and some old country overalls uh, plowing the field with a mule. The mule was pulling the old plow. And he yelled out, hey, you have a phone? Hey, do you have a phone? The farmer's like, what? Do you have a phone? No, but I got a mule. I'm not in, this is not good for me. He said, what you need? He said, well, my car's stuck in the ditch. I need to call a tow truck and get out. You don't need no tow truck. I got Dusty, my mule. We'll be there in a minute. He's like, oh, brother. He goes back to his car, waits a little bit. That farmer and his mule, here they come. Here they come. Farmer ties the chain around the car, tells the coach to get in. We're going to come out slow, just kind of navigate the tires a little bit, and well, I'll get you pulled out. He gets the mule ready, and he looks at the coach, makes sure he's ready, looks at the mule, makes sure the mule, the mule is ready, and he says, all right, buddy, Johnny, Dusty. And about that time, he said, Dusty, that old mule kicked it in gear, and he started and he started pulling that car out of that ditch, and he got that car out of that ditch. This farmer untied the chain from the car, 
he and, the, he and the coach shook hands. The coaches said, hey, do you know where such and such house is? I'm trying to find it. He goes, yeah, it's just only a mile down the road. He said, okay, good deal. And the coach turned back and looked at the farmer, and he goes, hey, what was with all the name calling? You just had the one. You know, what was the deal calling out all the other names? And the farmer said, well, old Dusty here, he's blind. If he thought he was alone, he would not pull, he would not pull anything. I know, it's sad. It was supposed to be funny. It was supposed to be funny. <laughs> Feeling sorry for an old mule. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Here's the point. The devil will tell us anything. The devil will tell us anything, and if we're gullible enough to believe it, that's all he cares about. He'll tell us anything. He's a liar. He plays not by the rules. He doesn't play fair. And so Paul, obviously understands that and as a reminder of that he, he reminds us he has the strategies of the devil they're deceitful tricks i just wonder man how many deceitful tricks have i fallen into how many times have i fallen into the deceitful trickery of the devil more more than i probably realize for a lot of different reasons and he says, hey, because you're not fighting flesh and blood. You're not fighting the things you can see. You're fighting against things you can't see with their natural eyes. But the Spirit of God in you knows the battle that you're against. And, the, and he knows that, if, that you've got to be able to stand strong. I don't know about you, but I, I get tired of when I allow the enemy to push me over. I get sick of falling for the same old, same old. I don't know about you, but I get tired, man, when I go through and I feel like I have some faith, and then I feel like my faith is nothing at times. And I'm like, what is going on? And the enemy will try to whisper and tell you things that really are not true. Because we've, we're not fighting against the things we can see we're fighting against things we can't see. And listen to the description of these things, man. They're evil rulers, evil rulers and authorities of unseen world, mighty powers in this dark world, evil spirits in the heavenly places. I mean, come on, the battle is against darkness. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is not even against ourselves. Our battle is against the devil and his demons. Our battle is against the evil spirits of darkness. And friend, if you, don't, if you haven't caught on yet, he does not want you to say yes to anything God has to offer. He does not want you to accept anything the Lord has for your life. And he has deceitful tricks. And so, But Paul then says, because of who we're fighting, because of the opposition against us, here is the thing. You've got to put on all of God's spiritual armor. Obviously, the armor is not something you wear physically, right? But it's something that we wear by faith spiritually. And we have to understand what these things are about. So let's just go through these quickly. Uh, the first thing he tells us to put on is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The belt of truth is like the center holder of our life. The belt of truth. It, it holds our life together. It balances our life. It holds our life up. Truth. Truth does that. Truth is not always easy to swallow... But truth is always guaranteed. Truth will never fail you. But you, you got you to figure out where you're going to get truth from. And you got to determine, do you really truly believe the Bible is true or not? 
And if you believe it is true for your life, you believe it is true, then you've got to accept it for what it is. All right? So truth, it holds us. Truth, it keeps us. Truth, it balances. But here's the thing. We have to be diligent in seeking truth, embracing truth, and then we also have to, man, cling to truth. There are over 32,000 verses, or close to 32,000 verses in the Bible. That's a lot of truth. Now, I know a lot of it sometimes doesn't make sense to us. We don't always, we don't, we don't have it quite grasp how this relates to that, how this doesn't override that, and all these things. But if we truly believe it's God's word, then we truly believe God himself, and we can take him that he is good for his word. And we have to seek it, embrace it, and then we have to cling to the truth. So what Paul is reminding us, if we're going to stand strong in a relationship in Christ, and we're going to stand firm against the deceitful trickery of the enemy, then first and foremost, we have to have our life balanced with truth. Truth will never let you down. Truth will never let you down. But then he also says, hey, put on this breastplate of righteousness. It covers your heart. So the Belt of truth is the center, center holder. The breastplate of righteousness covers your heart. The heart, in essence, is where we make things right with God. And in our heart is also where we begin to have a, a, an understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. Who we are. You know, before you're born again and after you're born again, the idea is that we don't stay the same. The idea is that everything changes. The idea, now you may look the same on the outside and have your personality be who you are. That's fine, but there's, there's this greater thing inside of us called a sinful nature that is constantly trying to continue to kick up and, re and rear up and step back up in our life. But there is also this thing called a godly nature, a born-again nature inside of us that wants to grow and wants to blossom and wants to be who we were really created to be. And that's the uh, righteousness, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the priest, part of their garments was they would have to wear this breastplate. And on that breastplate, they would have these two stones. And on those two stones, there would be the engraving of the 12 tribes of Israel, the names of each tribe on those stones. And so those Old Testament priests would wear those, would wear that breastplate as a, one, as a reminder of their sacred calling to represent God's people before God. But it was also as a reminder to God's people that said, hey, we belong to God and we are who he says we are. I think we sang a song about it a minute ago, if you didn't catch that. That we belong to God and that we are who he says we are. That's important to remember because the enemy wants to accuse, his, accuse God's people and he wants to create this fabrication that tries to get us to believe we are not who says God says we are. That he wants to create these lies and these tricks and these deceit to tell us you are not who God says you are. You are not. Look at how you live. Look at what you did. Look at the choice you made. Look at the mistake you made. Look at how you talked to them. Look at how you said that. Look at the way you thought that. And all the time, if we, we, have, to, we have to remember who we are. And so it's important if we're going to stand firm and we're going to be strong, then we have to wear this righteousness it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. And he reminds us of that, that we are made righteous in Christ Jesus. So the breastplate of righteousness. Here's another thing he says to put on. Put on shoes of peace. Obviously, shoes go where? Feet. 
They cover our feet. So when you put your shoes on, it communicates the idea that you're going somewhere and you're going to do something. Right? You put on shoes, it means you're going somewhere and you're going to do something. You're going to move about in life. Here's the thing about peace of God. One, God gives his own people peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. You could be standing in the midst of the most chaotic situation of your life, but you choose to cling to truth, and you choose to believe that God gives you peace, and he'll give you peace, and it'll settle your heart, and it'll settle your mind. Philippians 4 talks a lot about that, talks about praying about everything, talks about trusting God in everything, and as you do that, it says he gives you peace that will rule and reign in your heart, a peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when my mind is not at peace. I hate it when my mind is not at peace. It drives me crazy. That's what it's supposed to do when your mind's not at peace, make you feel like, what? But there is a peace, that, and he is our peace. Jehovah Shalom, he is our peace, and he gives peace. And, and Paul says, look, if you're going to stand strong, man, you've got to wear shoes of peace. Not only for you, but then also this. Secondly, God calls us as we walk around and walk about life to impart peace into chaotic places. That there are chaotic situations all around us. And I'm talking about people who don't know the Lord and sometimes people who do walk with God. But there is chaos that goes around in our world. And God calls his people to be those who wear shoes of peace to step right in the middle of a chaotic situation. And to speak peace and to be peace. Amen? I got one amen. That's good. In fact, Jesus called, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. In the Beatitudes, he's in Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I'd rather be a peacemaker than a problem maker. There's too many people who get off on trying to be problem makers and not enough peacemakers. As if there's not enough drama in the world, we've got to go and stir it up even more. Because we don't have, we just, for some reason, we, I don't know what the reason is. We just aren't in our right mind because of that. But that is not the way God called us to live. That is not, problem maker is not part of the armor, but peacemaker is. Amen? The church should be a bunch of peacemakers in this world. All right, I'll move on. That one wasn't too popular. Shield of faith. Shield of faith. It was real. Shield of faith, here's the thing about the shield of faith, it covers our life. We're told in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so here's the thing, our faith grows the more our life is exposed to God's word. Our faith grows the more our life is exposed to God's word. And so he likens it, faith to a shield, the shield of faith. So shield, our shield can grow. Our spiritual shields can get bigger. Our spiritual shields can get bigger. The more of God's word that sticks to our life, the bigger our faith shield can become. You ever been around some people and you just admire their faith? You're just like, dang, you got some faith. I wish I had some faith like you. What we don't realize is once upon a time, their faith was wee little bitty. Like Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Right? You remember that old story? 
your, body, your brains are going, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, who is Zacchaeus? What we don't realize about people who we admire that we believe have great faith is that their faith was once small. It didn't start out gigantic. It didn't start out like a giant slayer like David. In that middle of that story, you go back and you read all the background to David's story. How he was hidden and he was obscure and he was out in the middle of nowhere just taking care of his father's sheep and, and whittling away and making his slingshot and getting some smooth stones from the stream and just practicing and practicing and practicing. It was a little hobby here, a little hobby there. And what he didn't run, over time he started to realize, hey, I'm getting good at this. I'm getting real good at this. And, oh, what's that? Oh, that's a bear. A bear? What? Here I am alone, and there's a bear coming after my dad's sheep. Well, somebody ought to do something about that. Dad, dad, dad's not around. Dad's expecting me to do something about this. And so David says, I'll just take him out. Oh, and boy, there's a lion. There's a lion coming after the sheep. Dad, where's dad? Dad's not around. Dad expects me to do something about this. So he just says, I'll just take him out. That was the background story to David's life before he ever stepped foot in the arena against the giant. And what the entire army of Israel didn't realize was that David was a bear and a, and a lion killer because he protected what he was entrusted with. His faith grew to take out the giant because he took care of the bear and the lion. And most of us would be just like, I'd rather just, maybe not, I just, how about a squirrel? How to take care of a squirrel? Right? And what we don't realize often about people that we admire with great faith is that they have a story. That it wasn't always big. In fact, Jesus taught on this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the garden seeds, but over time it grows into the largest garden tree. And the birds of the air come and make their nest right in the tree. And really what we need to begin to focus on is just start having, be content with mustard seed faith. Develop it and work it, develop it and work it, develop it and work it. And over time our faith will grow and it will become large like the tree. And it will, be, and it will provide strength to everything around it. That's what Jesus was getting at. And so Paul's saying, hey, you have a shield of faith. Your shield of faith can grow. The more you expose your life to God's word, the greater your faith can become. The more you soak your life in God's word, the bigger your faith will become. Because those shields were leather shields that Paul was talking about. And what they would do is soak those leather shields in water. And when they went out to battle, the army against them, the enemy, would shoot arrows that were on fire. And as they came over and, 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 and were coming after them, they would hold up their leather shield that had been soaked in water. And as soon as that arrow hit that leather shield soaked in water, it said it would extinguish it. And Paul says, hold up your shield of faith so that you can... And extinguish the fiery darts of the devil. And so how does our faith get bigger? How can our faith extinguish the fiery darts of the, of the enemy? The soak our life in God's word, our faith will get bigger. The more we soak our life in God's word, the bigger our shields of faith can become. And pretty soon, somebody will be looking at you and be like, dang, you got some big faith. Your faith. How'd you get faith like that? And then you can share with them how you fought the bear, how you fought the lion, or how you killed the squirrel, whatever it might be. 
whatever it was that God used in your life to grow your faith. And the more you expose your, li your, your life to the word of God. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That I am an overcomer. That I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me and gives me strength. You begin to expose your life more and more and more to the 31, 32,000 verses of God's word. And pretty soon you're going to realize your faith is growing. You're not where you were last year. You're not where you want to be, but you certainly aren't who you used to be. Because your faith is about growing. Your faith is about developing. God wants your faith to grow. If you want to stand strong in tough times, here's the deal. You've got to hold up your shield of faith. And don't be ashamed of the size of your shield. Don't compare it to um, someone else. You work on your shield of faith with God, and God will get it bigger for you. God will get it bigger for you. If you want to grow and you want to stand strong, you've got to soak your life in the Word of God. Saturate your life in God's Word. Here's the thing. Nobody can make your faith grow but you. Nobody can get you to do it but you. If you want your faith to grow and you're tired of being a wimp for the Lord, hey, I suggest you read the Bible and let God's Word get in your life and put constantly saturate yourself in it, and pretty soon you'll start to realize, hey, I'm not a wimp anymore. I can stand on my own two feet. The devil is a liar and he comes at me with a one-two sucker punch. But I have the word of God in my life and it is growing me and it is building me and it is making me more than what I used to be. Amen. That's the idea. That's the game plan that God has in mind. All right, I got to get done. People are leaving. They're running out of my sermon here. <laughs> All right, lastly, last couple of things here. The helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. It covers our head. It covers our, it, it protects our thoughts, protects our beliefs, our perceptions. The helmet of salvation. We're told in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that a believer has the mind of Christ. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 10 that we have all authority to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Here's the thing. And Paul also elaborates and tells us to, hey, think on things that are noble, things that are pure, things that are right, things that are lovely, things that are good, things that are pleasant, things that are above and not beneath. Think on these kinds of things. You ever been sitting around or laying in bed at night before you go to bed thinking about your day, your week, your month, your year? And all of a sudden, you got all these wild thoughts going around, and you didn't even open your mouth. And you start to feel weird and crazy. Because all these thoughts from the day, the, the week, the month, the year is just like piling up on you. You're like, man, I ain't even talking to nobody. And I got all these thoughts flying around in my head. Or maybe you're, you're in a situation, and somebody, you hear somebody say something, and, you, and, and, and immediately you start to think, mm-hmm, I bet you do. You start to think bad about somebody or think ill of someone or you come around somebody you hear somebody boasting and you think yeah I can do it better than you can I'm better than you are and you have these thoughts I do I have those kinds of thoughts sometimes I'm just going to level with that was me I was talking about not you that was just me all right so there you go you're off the hook and what Paul's really preaching at is me and so he said Jeremy if you'll wear the helmet of salvation you'll be all right 
And uh, so I'll just preach this word to myself. And, but here's the thing. We have to, uh, we have to uh, learn to take every thought captive. It's actually 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Here's what that means. Any thought that doesn't line up with God. Paul says you have authority in your life in Christ to make that thought a prisoner. Take it captive. Make it a prisoner to where it can no longer run around in your head. That literally a, a weird thought, a bad thought, an unhealthy thought comes in. Here's the thing. God expects his people to exercise the authority that he's given them to take that thought captive and not allow it to run around in your head. Because here's what happens. The more it runs around in your head, sooner or later it's going to get in your heart, then it's going to come out of your mouth, then it's going to be a part of your life. We can actually stop the nonsense that happens up here before it ever gets in here and comes out here and becomes a part of our context of life. But you have to be willing to not take it. You don't have to take it on the chin from the enemy. You can take thoughts captive. And it's, you do this. You just quote that scripture. Right now, Lord, I don't know where that thought come from. I don't know where it came from. I don't even know why it's there. Um, but it's there and I don't like it because it doesn't glorify you. And it's not helping me at all. And it ain't going to help anybody around me. So here's what I'm going to do. I take that thought captive right now to the obedience of Christ in the name of Jesus. You thought you're not going to run in my life. You're not going to run around in my head. You're not going to produce nonsense in me. And I'm not going to believe the lies of the enemy. And I'm going to believe the truth of God who is love. And this is what he tells me to do. That's what you have to do. Nobody else can do that for you. You want to stop thinking crazy thoughts? Take thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. You want peace in your mind? you got to start taking thoughts captive and say, peace of God, come. Peace of God, come. And you might sound crazy to yourself, but I'd rather sound crazy to myself than live a crazy-filled life. Are you willing to put on the helmet of salvation? Sword of the Spirit. Where is Lori? Lori, can you come up and play? Thank you so much. Then he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God. It's the choice weapon for us, friends. It's the choice weapon, the spoken word of God. What good is the word if you then don't speak it? And, and I, I recently saw this video. I was trying to find this video, but I, I couldn't locate it after I went back and was searching for it. But it was a, it was a video of a, of a preacher who, who was deaf. And he was preaching using sign language. And had the interpreter there. And they were saying his words out loud. But he was preaching. I don't even remember what he was preaching exactly, but I just saw just a snippet. And he was preaching using sign language. He was pre Obviously, he was preaching God's word because he's a preacher. That's what preachers are supposed to do. And he was preaching the word of God. And in the middle of it, he, he stopped and he gave the sign language for, I feel strong right now. I feel strong right now. And the people, you could see the people get excited. They couldn't hear anything he was preaching. Come on, you with me? They couldn't hear but they could hear. He might have not been able to, to speak or hear himself, but he was speaking the word of God.
friends, God's word is powerful. It's mighty. And Paul says, look, you have this offensive weapon. Learn how to use it. Learn how to use God's word. Learn to not be ruled by fear. Learn to not be ruled by anxiety. Learn to not be plagued by unhealthy thoughts. Learn to understand, to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God. The word for that is called rhema, which is a right now word spoken for the right now situation. There's all types of situations in our life, but there's all kinds of word to go for it, to cover it, to impact it, to change it and influence it. The spoken word of God. But here's the thing. You got to read it. You got to remember it. Then you got to use it. That's why I so love our, our New Life Kids Awanas ministry on Wednesday nights. Children every week memorizing scripture. The first verse I ever learned was in Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. That's why scripture memorization is so important. I, I, I once knew a preacher who, had a, who, had a, uh, who sent some of his preachers across the world into China where Bibles are not allowed. Printed word is not allowed. So what they did is before they went, they memorized the gospel of John. Memorized the whole thing. They landed, so they land in China. They get searched. No Bible to be found on them. Huh. So they get in, they get settled in their room. What they do, they find paper and they begin to write the gospel of John. And then they give it out. Write it, give it out, write it, give it out. Friends, we need to remember scripture. We remember all kinds of movie lines and song lines, all kinds of stuff. We have got to remember what God has said. If you want to be a Christian standing in the last days, God help us and let us get back to the Word of God. If you want to trust the Lord of your life in the midst of chaos in this world, friends, we've got to get back to the Word of God. Who cares what real news and fake news says? Care about what God says more than anything else. Care about what God has to say about your life. Because he knows more about our life. And I think this is like closing number four, I think. Pray in the spirit, Paul says, and pray for all believers. This is our call to arms. Our call to arms is praying in the spirit and praying for other believers. The Spirit empowers us to pray even when we don't know what to pray, Romans 8. Jude 20 tells us we build ourselves up in our most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. And we're just all called as believers to pray for one another. Let me tell you these three things here about prayer. One, prayer keeps us engaged in fighting the good fight of faith. Prayer keeps us engaged in fighting the good fight of faith, finishing our race, and keeping the faith. Number two, prayer is the polish to our armor when we encounter battle wounds. 
You're going to go through it. You're going to have battles. You're going to have nicks and you're going to have scars and you're going to have wounds. Prayer is the anointing, healing oil and polish to your armor. God will use that prayer to build you back up. And lastly, prayer. It's our calling card to heaven. It's our calling card to heaven. I'm out of time. Just not out of word. So I'll close with this. For the sake of boring you. Prayer. Something we may talk about. But we don't always practice. All of us. All of us. We'll go through ups and downs with this thing. But prayer is our calling card to heaven. Let's use it. It's prepaid. It'll never run out of minutes. You'll never lose. It's, a, there's a, it's an unlimited data plan. You know that language. It's an unlimited data plan. Unlimited text and call. It's a calling card to heaven. God hears us when we pray to him. And so as the body of Christ, the picture that Paul gives here is the picture of a soldier. All of this armor, head to toe, is about facing forward. Who has your back? Come here, Brandon, I'll show you. Just two dudes trying to love Jesus in the armor of God. So you turn this way. I turn this way. We have each other's back. Just think about it. If Christians walk together in real unity and love and helped a brother and a sister out when they were down and ensured that no person would be left behind, this world will be changed. Guess what? That's what God's asking. That's all God's asking. You're tired? You can lean on me. You can lean on me. You can lean on me.